We went into this meeting and the guy just didn't understand what it was that we were doing. So we were sort of tying ourselves up in knots. And I remember, just remember sort of Steve and I were in the room together and I just remember there was a moment where we just looked at each other and thought, actually, why are we, what are we doing? Because we were trying to placate and to help. And I actually remember it vividly. I sort of smacked my book over where I'd been writing feverishly. And I said, well, I, d I really don't think this is for you because, you know, I, I don't feel that we're able to explain ourselves very well. I want to mention that today's podcast is brought to you by Eurex Exchange. And if you go to their website, you can find out how volatility derivatives can help you manage your equity portfolio. This is Natasha Reeve Gray, co-founder of Voltis Partners, and you are listening to Top Traders Unplugged. Welcome back to Top Traders Unplugged, where the best traders in the world come to share their experiences, their successes, and their failures. Let's rejoin the conversation with your host, veteran hedge fund manager, Niels Kostrup-Larsen. My friend following, I say, at least 50, 60%. Okay, okay. Now, you have another thing, and we've already talked a little bit about it, but I wrote it down as a point I wanted to dive into a little bit more, and that's, that's the whole thing about por portfolio construction, which really is a very important point but often gets maybe overlooked when people talk about simple entries simple exits and you know uh, a basic position sizing uh, in in between you mentioned the systems are adaptive mm -hmm. so one of the things that uh, i was wondering and that is within say trend following that's what i know best so i'm going to stick with that um mm -hmm. Often you can either develop models that have a certain fixed parameter set, you know, it could be a 30-day break uh, up or down or whatever it might be. But am I right in understanding that, that your adaptiveness is part of that, is that it will also pick the underlying models that has the best parameter sets for the current environment or for the what do you expect to be the environment, so to speak? Is it that yeah. adaptive? Uh, no, okay. no. Well, no. Yes and no. So yes, that's kind of the goal. Okay. Um, but I think I mentioned before, it's very difficult to. Um, it's it's really, it's the timing. You know, you it's very difficult, and so it, you need a lot of data to be able to decide that. So it's a very slow learning process. It's mm. not rapid, because otherwise you do fit to the to the noise essentially, and you fit. Um, so it is. But you're right in saying that yes. I mean, I suppose uh, you know theoretically, if you had different length of trend indicators or, or whatever it is that we're looking at is, you know, the weighting, if there was a particular set that did better than others, and yes, over time they would be predominant and they would have the, the most influence on the forecast. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Okay. In terms of, uh, you mentioned sort of the, the, the uh, risk budget overall, you said there's a hard uh, stop at 35% margin to equity, yeah. but in terms of sort of other constraints meaning not to get you know all risk in one market or all risk in one uh, small group of markets or anything like that are, are there anything there inside the sort of the portfolio construction that can keep you uh, you know uh, away from over concentration in one way or the other yep. yep there is but it's not an arbitrary constraint Okay. Um, and perhaps it would be easier if I sort of described um, what what can happen and what, sure. what sort of the optimizer sort of goes through. So essentially, when it's considering the optimizer is considering the combination of, of all this information, all these different markets, um, and obviously we we know where we are yesterday. We have our existing positions. Right. And we want to we've got our forecasts and we've got our 
uncertainties around those forecasts. We've got our volatility measures. We know correlation, transaction cost. There's a whole host of things that we measure, essentially. Um, and this describes the, you know, the the um, the, the um, ever-changing sort of landscape, if you like, of the portfolio. Mm. So what we do is the optimizer says, well, what's my expected portfolio benefit per lot, if you, if you like, uh, mm-hmm. for each of a uh, different combination. So let's take a scenario where it wants, wants to buy 10 lots of corn, for example. Um, and it, it explores and it looks at it. I'm going to try and break it down very simplistically. But um, so, so it would say, OK, so what's my forecast is positive and I want to buy. I'm going to explore buying 10. Mm-hmm. Therefore, my return expectation is positive, which is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, my risk, I have a risk associated with taking that position on. So obviously, that's a negative. That goes against that. Okay. Um, transaction costs are always negative, and that go, that adds up too. And then it also has a sort of diversification measure, which is the, the importance of the correlation, if you like, between things. Uh, and what that says is, well, how diversified does it give my does it give a benefit to the portfolio by actually taking this this lot these lots on? Okay. And that, let's say in this example, because it is commodity and it does move differently. That, that it would be positive. So that trade would, would be definitely taken, mm-hmm. essentially. Now, it goes through this iteration all the way up. Let's say it's gone all the way up from 10 to 99. Now it's looking at 100 because all the, all the way through it's been, it's had an, a positive net benefit to the right. portfolio. And it's the important thing here is it's not the return on that individual position. It's the benefit to the portfolio of that, into taking that, in, that order. Yeah. So now we're at 100 lots of corn. Of course, it's all looking very rosy because, um, you know, you've got you've actually got more diversification because actually 10 lots of corn probably won't buy you very much. Um, And it'll take that position and and explores this. I'm not going to make this really boring. Carry on all the way. That's fine. But let's take a crazy one. Let's say it went to buy a thousand lots of corn and it's explored to a point where it goes, "Uh oh, you know, now I've still got a positive return expectation (laughs) because I believe in my forecast, obviously. Um, The risk is increased you know, not unproportionately per se, given the measure here, for example, transaction costs. And of course, diversification has gone because you no longer actually, it's now too concentrated right. in one thing. And forget the name for a second because sure. we're just looking at price. And so it won't take that position. And and that is that is a that is the sort of integrated risk mm. approach um, that is the, the effectively by using sort of the um, you know the the investment objective of maximizing a, the, the client portfolio over the long term long long sentence but in other words geometric mean maximization um and, and that's really the, the 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 function of the investment um sorry the objective function inputs which is all those things i talked about the forecasting of the of the price the um existing positions from yesterday the forecast over the multiple you know time time horizons the uh, transaction costs you know all these things go in to build that sort of logic, if you like, in the optimizer. So yes, it, it, it does, but it doesn't have someone saying, right, you can only have 50 lots of corn or you right. can only have 50, 30% in equities. Sure. And, 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 and the reason we don't believe in that is that, well, the, the truth is, you know, what is gold? Is it a commodity <laughs> or is it a financial? Sure. So if you label it, it, it becomes a, di- a different thing. I think, you know, I think it's, it's I think, Many people are perhaps not doing it this way, but they'd certainly look across the portfolio and, and mm. look at the correlations. Yeah, no, that's very true. Now, just a last question on, on sort of the portfolio and the, and the markets and, and, and the diversification. Given the fact that you have experience with managing a, a large amount of money, mm-hmm. given the fact that you, what we see 
and have seen uh, in terms of some markets becoming perhaps less liquid in, in certain areas at least. Mm-hmm. If investors were to ask you, so what's your capacity based on your current you know, uh, methodology, yeah. what do you say to them? What do you think is, is the capacity of a, of a strategy like this, which is a bit different? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, because we're so diversified, I mean, we're not really not sort of, um, we can take, I mean, or, you know, we can we can take positions on in, in a way, but it's, it's so diversified that we have very re- re- small rebalancing orders daily, really. But um, <laughs> we used to have a joke that actually milk was the most liquid contract that we traded, but that's just very poor or bad taste, but um, actually, it's oats is, is the most illiquid market we trade. I mean, the truth is, there are a certain point where if you take money in, you, yeah. you know, the impact or the benefits of the portfolio is just not going to be there. Um, I mean, we were at peak um, managing 1.6 billion, uh, and I certainly, uh, we, we certainly felt comfortable with, with um, quite a bit more than that. I mean, okay. the capacity in the program, and it's a function really as well. Of there are certainly things you can do if we were at that stage to to improve that. The most important thing, though, is that really that the, the client has what they they want and and what they bought. And and you know if markets can the truth is if markets contract in liquidity, then you know we would have to re, you know revise the estimate of, of capacity. Sure. Um, but I think I think you know four billion is is we we always thought four billion four billion four billion <laughs> um, was the right was was sort of there but you know again we'd have to sort of see i mean markets have become so much more liquid when we when we first started I mean, when sure. we first started you know we were sort of saying in fact i think winter when we first started was saying sort of 400 million capacity or, or you know right. and we, we were we were estimating about the same yeah. So, you know, and that, that, that was the case then, essentially. <laughs> and well, I haven't really answered the question. No, that's fine. No, no, that's absolutely fine. That's absolutely fine. Let's, uh, let's shift gear and, and talk about another important uh, topic, which is the risk management, uh, which we've already touched upon a little bit. But I just had a couple of uh, things I wanted to uh, hear your uh, opinion about. First of all, do you have a particular way of defining risk in, 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 in the way you look at it, by the way? I mean, some people look at, you know, VAR, standard deviation, margin to equity. I mean, is is there anything where you say, yeah, I mean, we found this to be the most accurate way of, of defining risk? We look at it with, I mean, each one has its flaws. Mm. We, we look at it on a margin to equity basis. Okay. Um, and, but, but again, you know, you can have a situation, particularly in the currencies, where you're not seeing the true picture. But, you know, as long as you're mindful of that, um, uh, that that's that's how how we've always dis- disclosed it. We certainly obviously disclose standard deviation to our clients. Sure, cetera, sure. We look at that, but I mean, in terms of risk, that's how we all the, the or exposures. That's how we look at it. Yeah, yeah. I want to do something different that I may I may have done it before, but but not very often. And that is, I want to ask you a question that one of my listeners actually emailed me. Um, because I thought it was yeah. relevant. Yeah, <laughs> I know you don't do this, so it's going to be even more interesting to ask you this yeah, question. Okay. But yeah, yeah, but I'm sure you can answer <laughs> it just as fine. Um, but it is from a gentleman called Ajes who had a question which is, I think, a, a relevant question. And he writes, most of the guests say that they target a particular volatility or particular return. I do not understand how this is done in practice as the future is unknown and uncertain. Do you know... From your experience, how firms, when they say we target 15% volatility, do you have a nice way of explaining how you think they they, they do this? 
Well, we don't. So um, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, I think everybody will probably do, probably do it differently. I mean, we we've built a very simple um, trend beta system actually that that is is targeted, um, and all we do is we adjust the risk. Um, you know, uh, within a, you, you can't. It's very difficult to get it on the line all the time. Sure. Um, but you know, we do it by by looking at the volatility over over a period and then adjusting according to the positions essentially. Yeah. So I would expect that most people who target volatility are doing some form of assessment of obviously the, the market volatility and then and then sizing their positions by the volatility. Sure. Uh, and, to achieve a portfolio level. Sure. sure. And, and, and and I would add to that that, you know, obviously the backtesting plays an important role here because mm. you know, a lot of that comes from really your your expected your expected volatility of your portfolio will come from all the tests you've done based on your, you know, the way the, the systems yeah. operate and the risk yeah. you take. But then no, I thought it was a good question and I appreciate I appreciate your your answer. In terms of um, another thing uh, I, I wanted just to, to ask a little bit about, and that, that's correlations. Correla- how does correlation play a part in your portfolio? Because I can, my, my guess is, and, you know, you should never really, you know, state your, what you are guessing, but my guess is that it could, because you look at everything, you know, not by sector, but as the whole portfolio, I would imagine that some of your portfolio is probably skewed towards the more the less correlated markets in that sense, which we know are not the financials. But mm-hmm. but I I wanted you to to expand on that if if you would. Yeah, I think um, that that's certainly true. And and as I said to you, we we we're we're very um, agnostic about what we trade in the sense that you know um, we we like as human beings to label things. Um, Commodities, metal, whatever it is, you know, the sectors for 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 ease. We 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 also describe them as, as such within the firm and obviously obviously externally. What you what you end up seeing is a, a tilt, natural tilt, a natural weighting toward commodity markets. I think it's been about 60% since inception, actually. But it's ranged. I mean, it's ranged between 30 and 80. Okay. Um, and but that's what you get from really, you know, what it's trying to do is 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 diversify. Um, and, and build a robust portfolio as, mu- as much as a well-positioned one for the opportunity set. So that's what you end up, up with is one of the results. It's, it's, the, it's a nice feature, or at least we feel it is, although um, the last three years of it have been probably trickier because of it, but um, in a sense that obviously being more weighted to commodity markets, they, they have been more tricky for us to trade. Um, and yeah, no, I think that's a nice feature of, of using those two choices I mentioned at the very beginning, essentially, but you're, you're absolutely right. That's how it, how it sees correlation is it says okay, what what is you know what, what is correlated sure. to each other and, and by how much, um, and correlations are very stable, actually over time. So you know you can build a good picture, and whilst you can get in different information from the return forecast, the trick is to sort of make sure that they, they you know what you don't want with an optimization or uh, approach is that you have your a very stable or not stable, sorry, a very highly correlated couple of markets sure. and then your forecasts are completely different and then you over, overload up on them because that's exactly what would happen. So mm-hmm. we have to refine that process in some way, shape or form. And we do that by bringing those markets that are more highly correlated together historically, so stable correlation by refining those or moderating those forecasts down to, to prevent this. But but essentially what happens is that you end up with a, yes, you are allocating to to, to to a more diverse set. Sure, sure. Now, one of the things I was curious about, when you do forecasting as, as, as such, have you found that there are certain areas of the portfolio, uh, certain uh, market sectors 
where the forecast has a higher uh, success rate. Uh, you know, forget about sort of mm. performance, but where where it's e maybe I can say where it's easier to forecast, so to speak. Yes and no. I think that we first of all, I should say that the forecasting currently is applied in a generic way across all of the opportunity set. Mm -hmm. um, so we don't sort of refine, which is something that, that's actually an interesting question you've raised because it's something that, that is something that on the back burner for a search actually to look at. I think you can certainly see stronger forecasts, um, you know, when there's been, you know, a lot of, you know, nice, a nice strong trend, for example. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, when things are more volatile or they, or they sort of sideways, you can see that the, the, the forecasts are just non-directional and, and, and there's more uncertainty surrounding them essentially but no we, we haven't looked per se as i said to you because we don't think about it in that way um trying to tune forecasts to to a market or indeed a sector you know therein lies fitting to some degree although I, i'm not saying that's the wrong thing to do and indeed it's that we, we, we want to look at um but the, the approach that we apply as i said to you is generic across them all at the, at the minute Sure. Before I get to the next uh, subject I wanted to ask you about, I, I wanted to ask whether you get this question in your day to day. And that is, I think a lot of investors are becoming a little bit worried for good or bad reasons. I'm, I'm not sure uh, that CTAs uh, and trend followers, maybe in particular, will have a tough time when the interest rate uh, cycle changes and we start seeing sort of interest rates uh, going up. I think some managers uh, probably more in the shorter term space have made that case um, you know because of the cost of carry that might we, we may have to be you know for, for being short these uh, instruments and also I guess also because classical trend followers have made a lot of money in the interest rate cycle going down do, do you get this question is there any concern being raised towards sort of uh, you when when you talk to investors no we we don't we haven't actually i mean we, you know i mean the, the truth is is the low interest rate environment has um in fact let's start even before then the a high interest rate environment before the low interest sure. rate environment uh has flatters all returns i mean it, it is easier Uh, and, and certainly, as I said to you, it, flat, it flatters people's returns across the board, regardless of what you do. I mean, we haven't been asked that question uh, mm -hmm. particularly. We, we we try to, I mean, going back to the point of, of, of making a lot of money from the interest rates, yes, you know, we, we, we all have. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that's one of the goals, you know, when, when you're refining or enhancing your program is one of the things that we want to do is make sure there's no particular reliance upon history. Sure. Um, so what we, what we do is make sure that we're not just, um, you know, essentially if you, if you built, build the system with inbuilt assumptions about how history is played out when, when, when the future comes along and it's very slightly different, it's going to underperform. So that's kind of the point of, of what we try and do is, is, is not, is not have a particular reliance on, on, on a feature, mm. um, which comes across obviously with a generic forecasting, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so We're, we are less concerned about that. Um, I think certainly with the portfolio approach, it, it, you know, we like to think that, you know, we're not going to be subject to, um, you know, one, one sort of um, event. It will certainly impact us, I, I'm sure. But, but, in, but, you know, in which way, I, I can't answer. It's no. very difficult, essentially. Sure, sure. I want to talk a little bit about uh, drawdowns because, as you mentioned as well, that you know, for our style of trading, um, 
you know, we are most of the time in some kind of drawdown because we happen to define drawdown as anything below the last peak, which I think equity investors did well in not defining that way. So they never really bring it up. Yeah, I was going to ask what kind of drawdowns do you expect meaning? And I don't mean in terms of absolute numbers, but mm. in order to give investors a level of expected sort of a return and, and, and volatility, mm. then drawdowns creeps into that. And I wonder whether you have found a good way of setting those expectations, I, I guess, is the question. Some people say, you know, X times monthly standard deviation is what you expect but or should expect. How do you deal with that in terms of setting expectations for investors? Um, I think it's helped to have a 15-year track record with quite a few drawdowns in it. Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, you can certainly point to that and you've lived and breathed them. Um, yeah. I mean, the truth is, the longer you're in business, the, the larger your drawdown is going to be, statistically yeah. speaking. Sure. So, we're very comfortable talking about it because we have them. Um, I mean, what goes hand in hand with a much, you know, with a more volatile program. Now, I mentioned we don't target volatility. Right. Which is why I was so rubbish at answering your question previously. Mm. But, um, you know, essentially we don't and it ranges, but it, 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 it over the long term, it's at, it comes out about 20%. So with that comes greater return sure. and greater and greater drawdown, essentially. Um, and the other thing we don't do is we're not targeting sharp Right. In terms of the, of the portfolio, we're maximizing the growth of a, of a portfolio, not to be confused with maximizing risk. Sure. The beauty of using geometric mean maximization is what you're trying to do is correctly use the, the right amount of risk for the for the you know to make the most return essentially. So you with that with that approach does that they're in you know you can you can have a you, you know if you if we were targeting sharp, we we could we could manage we could probably cut the drawdown, but we'd also cut the return. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that you've been in a lot of drawdowns. You know, I work for a firm that has been into uh, many, many drawdowns as well. I don't know someone that doesn't work for a firm that's been in a, in a few drawdowns. Exactly, exactly. Uh, except maybe long-term capital and Bernie Madoff, it just springs to mind there. But, <laughs> but, but anyways, um, the emotional roller coaster that these drawdowns and, and and you already mentioned that sort of on a personal level but i want to tap into your experience dealing with investors and in, you know on on this particular point mm. how do we as an industry how do we as individual firms how do we help investors deal with that emotional uh, roller coaster as well so that they don't end up redeeming at the wrong time mm. yeah i mean a lot of our investors are specialist CTA investors. Right. Um, they are um, very good at understanding what it is they've. They're very good at understanding what it is that they are um, buying, essentially. Sure. But there's the people behind there that might that might be, might be managing the firms or yeah. as part of the investment committee that don't. Yeah. And I think that you have that problem. Whatever you do, you're going to have them go. Well, I don't understand this. This is just too too steep a drawdown, and we need to get out. Now, what we try and do is is again, I go back to transparency and try to um, make sure we're giving regular contact. Uh, we do we do webexes where we we show um, the portfolio exposures and the forecasting down to instrument level. Sure. Um, and we're not afraid of any of giving that out. Um, again, we're a 95% managed account business, so it's very transparent in that respect as well. Sure. I think it's all about really connecting and educating. I mean, we've had some really pretty cross people. Mm. Um, <laughs> But, but generally, they're cross with us, if you know what I mean, as opposed sure. to just cross at us, actually. Right. 
Um, and maybe that's because of the length of the, the time of you, you know, they've been with us. I'm sure you, you're in the same position. You know, some of our investors have been with us over, you know, an average of 10 years. Yeah. So that helps. And the other thing I think that helps is in the very beginning, I think, you know, don't, I would advise don't sell the product, just mm. tell them the facts. Yeah. Um, because they're generally bright people and they can make their, their own minds up in, in the sense that we, we used to talk about the drawdowns. We, we, we would say, well, this is what you can experience from the mm. very beginning. And you still need to say that all the way through because actually the one thing I have learned is that you don't really know your investor until you you, you, and in fact, they don't even know you until you go through your first drawdown <laughs> together. It sounds again a bit like a marriage. No, it's true. true. It's true. Yeah, <laughs> it's very true. Yeah, no, it, it is. It is a difficult uh, thing and uh, to to deal with. Now, in terms of um, research, uh, I know you're not on the research side, and and I'm not on the research side. So you know, I'm not trying to to try and and, and get into sort of the nitty gritty of things, uh, but. You know, research is often driven by sort of the questions we we ask ourselves. Um, and so I was wondering when you look at your uh, sort of a research team at the moment, mm-hmm. what's the conversations like? What, 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 what areas do you find interesting to to look into? So something that we've done post the adaptive forecasting, which went in last May, is we started looking at factors that push portfolios around. Um, and that was really interesting mm-hmm. uh, and actually culminated in a, in a release a couple of weeks ago, actually called, um, it's a very, very catchy name, um, <laughs> Adaptive Factor-Based Forecasting. Very catchy. They're very good at coming up with these very good names that are yes. just lovely. Um, no, they, they, that was really interesting because what, what we know, obviously, through correlation is that things there, there are there are definitely um, factors that, that push the portfolio and, and not everything. Nothing's independent, for want of a better term. Um, and, and we started looking at that. Uh, I think it was quarter three last year. Sure. And, you know, as always, always with these things, it's, it, 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 it evolved into um, what we thought we would achieve was finding a way of forecasting in a more simple fashion rather than the individual markets, but actually forecasting the factors and actually driving that to produce the sort of the construction, portfolio construction. Mm-hmm. And um, what we found was um, that the, that we lost it actually built a really some really nice features it built a really nice sort of diversified portfolio um a, a better risk adjusted or not risk adjusted but risk managed portfolio uh, under underlying which was really attractive but we lost in the sharp ratio so we mm-hmm. lost lost in return um so they sort of scratched their heads and, and did a bit of thinking and 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 some and, and looked at it again and and discovered that in in some way they were losing the information that the idiosyncratic behavior of the individual constituents gave us so there was some information there that we were just losing which is what which, which contributed to the to the loss of return so what they did was they actually said well look rather than just using these sort of factors let's bring the sort of um portfolio i've described it before where they they sort of refined the the forecast made in highly correlated pockets mm-hmm. of of markets um so that actually that then if they are highly correlated and, and you know because historically um uh, correlation is very stable so it's actually a better measure in some respects than for alpha the forecast we make because it's more certain sure if you know that, then 
if your forecasts are different, then what you want to do is actually bring them in line in those in those sets of markets which are highly correlated historically and obviously you know ongoing. So um, that is a way of still bringing out the factor or the things that are pushing the portfolio around without mm. losing the information. So that's that's something that we that we've looked at, and there'll be a part two to that actually because that resulted whilst it's it was sort of initially the sort of forecasting part, it ended up being sort of more the correlation and the, and the and the um, portfolio management element of it um and they'll and they're certainly going to go back at a later stage and look at the forecasting um and factors uh, you know again um but at the minute i think they're looking at um looking at better ways of, of forecasting um liquidity and 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 you know costs costs in, in the market because actually the cost is very important to us it's a, it's a very early on in the process essentially we have to make an assessment about how much it's going to cost us to those 10 lots of corn i mentioned mm-hmm. 100 lots of corn how much is it going to cost because it impacts what you do sure. and your decision making process so yeah there's there's, there's uh, as i said we only ever work on two things at any one time because we have to yeah. to be focused um but yeah, we, we love looking at stuff that can, we have to make an assessment essentially, and this is the commerciality around it, of, of what benefit will it bring? Um, and it's a really tough thing to estimate because of course you don't know. If you knew at the, at the beginning, it'd be very easy. Research would be just a, a very easy thing, um, but you don't often. And also we have to make an assessment of how long it's going to take us and, and the resource that we need, not only just in maybe maybe new data or it could be team members, whatever it might be. Yeah. And that all contributes together to, to form one weighting that the, and essentially what happens is that those that are top weighted will just get worked on. Sure. And that's the top two. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been some interesting work this year, actually, or last year, I should say. Sure. You mentioned the word focus a, a, a few times, which is really important. Do you know what it stands for? Do I know what focus stands for? Yeah. I'm going to spare you for that, but I, I was told that follow one course until success. That was really the <laughs> very of, good. Uh, I like that. A focus. Um, a question I get from the listeners from time to time, and 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 maybe it's not something that you use specifically, but I think maybe generically you have some opinion about, and that is when people hear about systematic traders and they have all these models and they work, you know, in a in a in a, in a big box, so to speak. Um, it can be quite uh, overwhelming to think about it. And so a question I often get is really, how do you know or how do you detect if a certain model stops working? <laughs> is that, do you have any view on that? Mm, it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's very difficult, isn't it? Because, you know, this, is, this comes back to sort of my generic sort of fitting, overfitting to the past question. Right. Um, every time, you know, we enhance the program, um, I mean, obviously, it just, just like any other uh, systematic sure, CTA with sure. a research team, we'll do the same thing. We're very sterile with what we do, blah, 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 out of sample data. You know, we don't reveal the truth until the very end of the process because then you have to make a decision. Yeah. Um, and that's the point where you're, you're fitting essentially to some degree. Um, every time you either do something or, or indeed you don't do something, you're, you are making a decision based on, you know, what you know from from history, essentially. Mm. Um, so I think it's very difficult to, to make that uh, call. I, I think you can certainly see. I mean, we 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 try to make sure that the indicators that we have are completely independent and not overlapping. 
um, and that that helps because previously we would have had more overlapping and, and less independent indicators way back in the past. So I think that, that that sort of cleans things up to some degree. In terms of how whether we make a decision of, of taking something out or not, it, it really it depends on on the level of um, of its contribution, I suppose, within the portfolio. Um, and we and we it's a very it's a difficult question to answer because it will depend on the data i think and it will depend on the on the length of data time you've got i mean clearly if you have an indicator that just has not produced i.e. The, the error around it is just large so large that it's just not it's it's got a zero weighting right it stayed like that for you know let's say three five years then you've got a question sure. Sure, um, sure. but if it has a zero weighting it's also not doing anything that's, that's damaging. All you're Absolutely. doing is, is you've got a, a, a system that's slightly more complex, <laughs> which <laughs> is not necessarily good or bad, but you know. <laughs> no, that's, that's very true. That's very true. I want to jump to um, uh, another thing, which is really sort of the, the, the more the business side of things, not so much the trading and, and the research, but more the business side of things. And in terms of the business side, uh, something that we often see in our business is that firms, they start young and, you know, we're hungry. And, and yeah. as you mentioned earlier, which I concur with, we're all a bit naive how difficult it's going to be, but we get started. And then comes... Uh, the uh, success uh, for for some at least and certainly in your case uh, and the growth phase now in a sense where you are where you are kind of doing a rejuvenation or new growth phase again mm -hmm. how do you use all of that experience from from the first time around how do you use that to your advantage today Yeah, I think it speaks to some of the stuff we've spoken about, things that I think we didn't do as well as we could have done. I mean, certainly I feel older and wiser. <laughs> um, actually, do I feel older? I feel older. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always find the older I get, the less I know. Does that right. make any sense? Sure, um, I've heard that before. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, I think um, I think that we've learned a, a lot of lessons about growing a, a business. Um, now, I'm not saying that we did. I, I don't think there is a right or wrong way. And I think a lot of it... Um, as I said, depends on on luck to some degree, and and, and obviously the, the environment that you're in. Mm. Um, but I think certainly the things I've spoken of before, where where you know trying making sure that when we grow again in terms of team that we are, I think one of the the other important things actually I, I didn't mention with regards to team that that is important is you hire for what you need, mm. not only today but for the next 12 to 18 months. Don't go and hire someone that manages. Um, I don't know, you know, 100 people in a great big FTSE 100 company. Um, because if you don't, if you, if you, if you are not that great big FTSE 100 company <laughs> and, um, you know, they're going to struggle because yeah. it's not what they do. So I think it's about really being very clear strategically. I think we've always been that way, actually, but I think being more, very clear strategically about the business and the direction. And I don't think you can go super long term with that necessarily. I think you have to think in the next sort of 12 months and position yourself accordingly. Um, I think the hiring process could always be improved. Um, certainly from our, our perspective, it, it, it can it can be and has been from experience, actually. I mean, I remember when we hired our first, our first employee was hired. Um, in fact, my husband was a, was a, did recruitment historically and, um, 
he wasn't even in that role and he sort of did recruitment for us and found one of our a fantastic developer mm-hmm. um, and he was our first employee um, and I think we interviewed him in a pub <laughs> um, you know I, I, he didn't drink actually which we thought was very suspicious um, <laughs> but then we've discovered that lots of people that develop don't drink um, but yes no uh, that that was I mean it's very different now. and I'm not saying that that was wrong I think that was perfectly right for then yeah uh, I just think you have to adjust your process depending on where you are. And it is process. It's pr- everything with business is process driven and consistency. Mm. Um, and you just have to think very carefully about whether it's relevant because, you know, these amazing textbooks and, you know, everything can tell you how to do it. But ultimately, right. you have to adjust it to your style, I think. Otherwise, you lose the culture as well, which is important. Absolutely. A little bit related to that, but I'm going to try and phrase it maybe a little bit more uh, more elegant. And that is... So also when you start as a firm and you're hungry and you have very little to lose. I mean, you said you started out with 1.2 million and you were down to 200,000 very quickly. So in the bigger scheme of things, there is less to lose. So you have a certain mindset, a certain risk tolerance, a certain risk appetite maybe. Mm -hmm. And then you have this huge success and you Mm -hmm. became very large in in the business. And I'm, I'm just curious, thinking back did that change your mindset at the time? Meaning what we've seen with other firms, at least, is that they're, they become less volatile. They seek less volatility in their returns, maybe. Mm-hmm. When I look at your track record, I don't see evidence of that necessarily. But, but, but more the mindset, actually. Do, do you feel that you, you changed as a consequence of your success? I think we must have done. Um, I mean, in t- just speaking of the volatility, we, we don't believe, um, well, first of all, obviously we don't target, as I've mentioned before, but I mean, yeah. we, we don't, we de- that we, we deliver a program, yeah. um, to some very loyal clients and, um, that's it. There's no, there's no compromise on that. And actually this is how we manage our money. I mean, our money's in our own vehicle sure. and I wouldn't want it any other way. So, so, so to that, and if you want to do a low volatility program, then we'll, we'll, we'll launch one, you know, or you put half the amount of money in sure. or whatever it is. I, you know, I, I think that would be our mindset. I do think we probably changed. I think for the good and the bad in some respects. I think um, I do remember, I hope you won't mind me telling a story. No, I do. I, I do. love stories. Oh, do you? Oh, I've got lo- loads of those. Um, I remember being in meetings and, and, and feeling always wanting to sort of be being very keen to try and relay how great we thought we not we were but the, the what we had sure um so very much sort of subservient if you it's not quite the right term i'm looking for but um more more that style i think and yeah. then i do remember we got to i think we just made a billion right which um was just mind boggling sure. you know um, and, and not made a billion, sorry, no, no. got to a billion. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and uh, we went into this meeting and um, it was in Europe. Uh, so I'm going to keep it very generic, very wide sure, here. Sure. And the guy was very, very rude. And um, just, I suppose, probably when I say rude, actually maybe not rude, just didn't understand what it was that we were doing. Went on about actually how much leverage we were we were buying in, in the uh in, in the markets, but of mm. course the futures, it's kind of a, a difficult question to answer because sure, of course it is sure. naturally leveraged. Yeah. So we were sort of tying ourselves up in knots. And I remember, just remember sort of we, Steve and I were in the room together and I just remember there was a moment where we just looked at each other and thought, actually, why are we, right. what, what are we doing? Cause we were trying to placate and to help. And, 
And we just sort of went, and I, I, I actually remember it vividly. I, sla- I not slammed. That sounds really rude, but I sort of <laughs> smacked my 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 book over where I'd been writing feverishly. Yeah. And I said, well, I, d- I really don't think this is for you. Right. Because, you know, I, I don't feel that we're able to explain ourselves very well. And it was a very interesting thing because the moment that meeting changed completely and he was lovely. Yeah. And we had the most amazing meeting, which is the only time I can imagine that happening. Sure. <laughs> but I think that maybe for a minute we just went, well, actually, why are we? This is this is crazy. Where was he not doing a good job of explaining it to him? Um, and, and actually, maybe we, we shouldn't be here in, in, in the sense that he doesn't understand it. Therefore, it's not for him. And uh, yeah, that, that, that was a moment where I think we would never have done that before. We would have probably muddled on through and then made a very poor impression. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's interesting you say that. I mean, I love the story. Thanks for sharing. Mm-hmm. And um, because I think that it's about being authentic, isn't it? I mean, being who you really are and not trying to change and try and be someone that, that, that you're not just because you're bigger doesn't mean necessarily that you should act like people or firms that are much bigger. You should just be yourself. That's, that's yeah, what hard, people though. buy. I think no, it's, it's hard. hard. Yeah, I, yeah. Exactly. it is very hard. And it's so, it's so difficult sometimes just to, you know, be yourself. Well, our industry idolizes people. Sure. Um, and I don't think that's a bad thing because I think you need them. I mean, we, you know, I, I certainly look up to many Um, I think we've been really lucky. Uh, One of my partners, in fact, all of them are lovely, but Spish in particular is, um, (laughs) as I said, he's the the sort of the the original brains behind it, although there's a team around him now. But um, he he is a very calm and considered person. He's not an ego, the obvious ego. I'm not saying he doesn't have one, but he's not the obvious ego and Mm. he doesn't have tantrums and... It's 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 a very it's very valuable actually that I mean there is there's there's some the, the negative aspect of it is that I I, I respond and, and feel very very um every as I said to you at the very beginning every time there's a negative return I'm like ow yeah um he he's so long term he sees he sees things just in a very different way so for him it's not like that and that can be frustrating because of course you you want him to sometimes respond in that way mm. um but no and i think that's very very been very good for us actually mm. um for the research team to see that rather than having someone that's sort of you know bouncing off the walls when sure. everything's great and then also you know cutting their wrists when it's not sure no absolutely uh, just one more comment on on stories and why i think they're lovely and why they're so important and that is the reality is our brains are not wired to remember PowerPoint presentations, no. but they're actually wired to remember stories. That's how history was passed down through thousands of years. So so I think the more stories we can tell, the better. Uh, there's yeah. a bigger chance that people will remember them. Um, anyways, back to um, sort, of, uh, uh, sort of the last few questions here. What do you see as your biggest challenge you know, today, where sort of where you are, where the industry is, where the market has has been, what what do you see as the biggest challenge uh, right now? Mm. I think the industry, our industry as a whole, doesn't do a great job, or, or sorry, that's not right. Could do a much better job of okay. of helping people understand what we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a big challenge for us all to contribute to that. I think we shouldn't bury our heads in our in the sand. We are we are in a maturing industry. Sure. Um, and, and the fee pressure that we've seen, um, you know, and it's not just it's not just managed futures, it's hedge funds in general. I think that, the, you know, that's 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 
part of that. And I think that's challenging because, you know, there's a point at which when you are a sophisticated CTA and you believe you're you're delivering alpha for your clients, you need a research team and you need to pay for that research team. And ultimately, sure. you need fees to pay for that research team. So I think it's crazy to, to say, well, you can get that because we're going to, you know, we're not going to have any fees or we're going to have a flat management fee. I don't think that's possible sure. for these types of products. Um, and it will be Darwinian in, in, in that sense, I, I, I feel. So I do. But I also think there is room for these uh, new because um, I think there is, there is, you know, a simple, a simple trend-following approach. Um, you know, three different timed moving averages, for example, sure, sure. can can capture trends. Yes. So, where's the where's the rocket science in that? Mm-hmm. And and I think that that can that could be part of a solution for certain people. So, I suppose it's a challenge because we're in a sort of status where it's been horrible. Um, and tough, which I think actually will will turn out to be a really good thing for for all of all of all of us actually, mm. you know. Um, and I certainly think that we're better for it, better people, sure. and better business for it actually. Um, but I, I, yeah, I think it's 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 a difficult one. I definitely I definitely think you know we have to approach the new way people are thinking. Um, and embrace it as opposed to sort of bury our heads in the sand or say it's not happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. I also think that the industry's changed dramatically in in terms of of the investor type, and I think mm. that that's a, that's a challenge for some businesses because mm. the institutional client is different um, from the high net worth from the family office, and you know whilst there's individuality in all of us. Uh, it's a definitely a different approach. You need different people that, that, that can engage with them and, and deliver the right information, really. Yeah, no, very much so. Now, before we go to the last section, I wanted to ask you uh, a question. I mean, you've been in hundreds, if not thousands, of of uh, meetings and due diligence uh, situations. And I'm just wondering, um, what do you think investors are not asking you today uh, when when you sit down with them is there anything that that you think that they should be focusing more on when when they try and understand mm. your strategy that's a good question i think it's really important well let's separate the two things so sure. about the about the product i think they should ask for examples of where, you know, we, we try to describe our performance drivers and I think, you know, asking for examples of that and then getting someone to actually display it and show them, you know, and at regular points, I think is important. Sure. We, I suppose we do that to some degree anyway, but I, I think it's getting behind that, that, getting behind the methodology and really understanding the performance drivers. And I think there's different ways you can do that. And actually I have to say, I think they do it quite well. Sure. Um, sure. I think as the business, I think they, they, you know, I think what the last few years has shown is that actually it's not the strategy risk that is the issue. It's the manager risk. Right. Uh, and understanding the makeup of the business, you know, understanding the dynamics of the team yeah. um, uh, and that stuff. I mean, you do, to be fair, we have, I mean, the clients that we we have do focus on on those things, but I'm not sure everyone does. Um you know, consistently, perhaps. And I think also, you know, it's not just a one touch point, is it? You know, if you're going to invest with someone, you're going to be with them a long while, hopefully. So this should be a regular thing. Yeah. And uh, most of our most of our investors do do that. They come on site and, and do all those. I'm sure you, you have the same thing, but some don't, you know, I'm, I, I, and I know historically that hasn't always been the case. Um, and, and yeah, tapping into that sort of dynamic and the, and the team particularly and, and making sure that because, look, you know, we're 
pretty mediocre in terms of some things that we do as people. And, and you just they need to see that you're hiring people that can support the business and, and, and us better mm. in that business. So it's a difficult one. I don't know how, how sure. you'd get to that, but that's, that's what that would be important. Sure. Just just sort of a spur of the moment question. I wanted to to uh, hear your uh, opinion or advice about, and I don't want to be biased here because uh, I think that both type of managers play a role. But if I look at a lot of the uh, the the news, a lot of the uh, investor sort of appetite, there's all often this talk about we need to find emerging managers they they they're great they have performed better than than older managers um yet there is a large group of uh, managers uh including some firms that that you and I know uh, very well that have been around for a long time but have seen both the 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 growth phase and the sort of the contraction phase but they have all this wealth of experience and they're still innovative they're still hungry uh and want to grow But it seems that there is sort of a, this natural bias from from investors to a certain degree to to want the, the the latest new exciting manager. You know, I do take the point that obviously there is then the point about AUM, and so certain uh, investors can't invest in small managers. I accept that, um, but there is this natural curiosity. It's like watching the you know Tim Cook at Apple releasing the latest uh, gadget, and and we all want it. You know, and and I see a little bit of the same. How do you think we as, as as mature managers, but not mature in terms of size, how can we become more interesting for, for investors again and, and, and make them want us? Mm. It, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it, a long time? I mean, I, I see it as a, a tremendous, and as I'm sure you do too, a, a tremendous benefit. I mean, one of one of my, in fact, one of our clients actually uses it as a, as a reason for for their investors essentially they say you know look we we've been we've been with and not just us you know sure. with guys for many many years and and we have a relationship you cannot buy that relationship and the relationship it equals a partnership mm. and i think that's really important is alignment of interest and the partnership with the client and i think people don't see it necessarily that way we do as in i'm not saying other managers i'm saying investors sure. don't necessarily see it that way and i think it's really i mean i think it's amazing we have a client that sees it that way which is which is brilliant yeah. um i think it's also down to perception i think you know somebody uh, said to me um actually recently probably about six months ago not too recently sure. <laughs> um, but um it, they said you know altis might be stagnating right um sure. And I think that is a perception because, you know, the new latest shiny thing. Now, I'm not, I think that, I think, it, I think it's great, by the way. I, I, I love to see new people. Um, in fact, we're, we're very collegiate. We know a few that, that are brilliant, actually, or I think they're brilliant. I haven't seen their performance. You know, I don't look at the performance, but I think they're good people. Yeah. Um, I think it is just human nature. Um, and what I think our job is, is to make sure that, that the investor or the prospect understands that what you are, you're not just standing still that actually the gravitas and the weight of your experience can actually add value. I mean, look, I certainly have learned, you know, you know, when I started out doing this, I didn't understand uh, the research process. I didn't, I didn't understand what it meant to fit, sure. to backfit. And I think, you know, the more time you spend at this, the, the more you know. I mean, there is obviously as you get older, there's, you know, people can, might perceive you as less hungry. And I suppose there's an element of maturity and, and less... Um, 
vibrancy, but perhaps, you know, not as excitable. I don't know. I mean, I've certainly calmed down to some degree. Um, (laughs) Not too much. Sure. (laughs) But yeah, I think I think it's up to us to really um, do a good job of explaining that that we are we might have been here a while, but the asset level doesn't necessarily mean that we're not very good at what we do. Yeah. And it's about showing what value you can deliver within a client portfolio. What can we do for you that someone else can't? The truth is, all of the CTAs I know in our industry <laughs> are great at what they do. You know, if, you, if you're looking for just what a CTA, then really, you know, blind man's bath. <laughs> sure. You know, if it's a trend, I mean, let's keep it simple, you know, medium, long-term trend for whatever. I'm sure we're all very good at that. And it, it, it comes down, I think, also to the people. And, um, you know, you, you, you have to trust the person that you're speaking to. The, the, I mean, it's the only industry that I think is hilarious that, that the only industry where you go to an investor, here, you give me your money and I'm not going to tell you what we're go- what, what what's going to happen in the future because we we don't know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, you think, my God, they take a, a massive risk every single time they do that. In in that sense, of course, they do it with all programs. But everybody sure. else is an economist, aren't they? And say, well, we predict that da 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 da, and the interest rate here and the yeah. And I just think it's funny, but I I, I haven't really answered your question. I think it's important to to, to show that you are still around, which I think we all do very well, actually, but that we aren't just because we're slightly longer in the tooth that we're not innovative. Sure. Um, and maybe that means that there has to be some consolidation. I don't know. Probably true. Yeah, probably true. Let's jump to the last uh, section of uh, our conversation today. I call it general and fun, so it's uh, really all over the place. But it's just a little chance for for the listeners to get to know you even even better. But the first thing is 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 not so much about you uh, as as a person, but it's also just based on everything you've learned, everything you've gone through. And and I know a lot of the people listening to us today are also you know aspiring managers and might look at at Altus and say, wow, you know, if we can one day be a firm like that, that would be great. But what would you, what advice would you give a new manager today uh, from from everything you learned? Um, I would say to them make sure you have a process um, with everything that you do and follow it and be consistent and um, be transparent. And if you, you know, if, if you feel you haven't, you know, explained something well enough, then, then, then go back and make sure you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I think there's all sorts of things, but I think the process, having a process and everything, I mean, you think about it, you know, in, in, in the research, in, in the, hiring in the uh business development i mean you name it it's if you have a process and, and it's an it's a numbers game at the end of the day and it's certainly in that regard you know you you follow a process you adhere to it you build your culture and and brand and and reinforce it every single time that you meet someone because that carries weight in terms of what they feel and and, and feel about you as a firm uh, and i think that would be very important process yeah, consistency. Absolutely. In terms of a, if you're going to recommend a book, for example, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that uh, you felt had had a impact on, could be professionally, could be personally, something that you, uh, you know, would look to and say that that I learned from from that, and and I think other people can as well. Do you, does anything spring to mind? Yeah, there are two actually. There. Um, 
One is nothing to do with finance, mm-hmm. um, and it's actually a book written by a gentleman called Ben Horowitz, um, and it's called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. <laughs> <laughs> Great title. It is. It is a good title. Um, doesn't tell you anything about what it is about, but <laughs> it's just tough. Um, and it's essentially it's his life experience of, of, of running, of founding, running, and managing a tech business, actually. And I found that, A, it was enjoyable to read, mm. Uh, and I found myself chuckling and acknowledging, you know, stuff. You know, I think that was it. Was it's an entrepreneurial book. It's sure. it's a good read. It's a good, it's a good, it's a good plain read. Um, mm. The other one actually really helped me understand um, better. I love history, and I love I love all you know the, the the history of what we do really as well. Sure. And uh, one of them that helped me better understand our approach actually um, when I, when I was looking at you know, learning about, you know, how we, how we basically manage risk and, and return. And it, it's something called, again, it's a, it's not a financial book, actually. Okay. It's called Fortune's Formula. And it's right. by a gentleman called William Poundstone. And it's really entertaining. Uh, non-technical bio- biography of the Kelly Criterion, which okay. is basically a way to deal with uncertainty that gives um, the best return for your money without running into kind of bankruptcy okay and that's kind of speaks to what we do actually in the geometric mean maximization and they're, they're both good books and they and i recommend them <laughs> that's great good stuff what's a perfect day for you what does it look like do i have to say something to do with the, with our industry <laughs> no it could be waking up and looking at your four lovely children could be anything yeah yeah i would say i probably if i'm i'm not very exciting i have my four lovely boys and um I am, I'm very much in love with them. And uh, yeah, I, that's my perfect day. And, and you know what? They're, they're, they're growing up super quick. I have a 10, 8, 6 and 3-year-old. And I'm, I'm dreading when they, they don't want to spend time with me. At the minute, they, they do. So I'm making the most of it. Sure. Absolutely. And speaking of the children, I wanted to ask you one thing about that. And that is, if you could take one of your skills and only one and pass on to your children, what would that be? Oh, goodness. Um <laughs> can I can I not take skills from other people that are much better? <laughs> um, of course you can. I could. You can, we can, we I, I can, can do anything I like. Um, sure, no, exactly. I, I suppose I really. I think. Um, what could I? What that's? Uh, do you know? Probably. Well, let me ask you another. Maybe in another way, and that is, what do you think it would be really important for your children to be able to? I wouldn't say necessarily master, but what would be a really important skill for them to have in the world that they're going to grow up in? Okay, so so I can answer that easily because it's something that okay. I think I, 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 I had. Um, don't believe that there's a word called can't. Right. Um, I don't believe there is, and I never have. So if there's one thing that I can pass on to them, <laughs> and I think hopefully they're, they're getting it, <laughs> is that can't doesn't exist. So, uh, because it's negative and it's, it's, it, if you, I truly believe that if you set your mind uh, towards something and you focus and you learn from your mistakes that you will get there. That is sound advice. Now, speaking about yourself for a little bit here, is there a fun fact that you could share something that even the people who know you could be your partners uh, in, in Altus um, may not know about you? Oh goodness. A fun fact. Mm-hmm. Could be um, a secret, uh, I don't know, talent that you've never shared. I don't talent. know. I don't know. I, I think I've probably mentioned at the beginning. I was, um, I, I did art and drama. I, I, I love, I love painting and drawing. And mm. unfortunately, if I, if I did do that, I would have, I get very absorbed by it. 
So um, I would be able to do nothing else. And um, that's something that I don't usually talk about or share with people because it's just not, it's alien to our world, isn't it? Unless you, unless people have bought some amazing, beautiful paintings. Um, it, 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 you know, uh, so yes, that, that's it. That is something that I, I, I would love at some stage in my life to go back to and, and do. I, I, I thoroughly enjoy that, particularly drawing people. Sure. You could start by drawing your partners, perhaps, and uh, I see could. What they say. How about caricatures of them? <laughs> yeah, sounds like a good idea. Now, I said earlier that um, you know it's about asking the right questions, and we were looking at what investors might uh, not be asking. So I'm going to turn it on myself as well, and 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 ask you, what did I miss today in our conversation? Is there anything you want to bring up to make sure that we do justice to you and? And to Altus uh, here as we are we're wrapping up our conversation. I think you do a really good job, actually. I feel very comfortable, and that can sometimes, you know, with an interview, you, sure. you're difficult. And no, I'm not helping you here. I'm not. I'm not being constructive. No, that's um, fine. I think. Um, I think you did it very well. I think, you know, particularly, you know, I, as you pointed out, you know, I'm not on the research side, so you were able to angle it, hopefully for the listener in some respects, to to bring out some of the other bits that that it, that are important about running a systematic business it's not just about the trading um no i think you did a good job actually thank you good no my pleasure absolutely but before we end our conversation um and looking maybe a little bit into the future um what do you see for for altis and and maybe for the managed futures industry as a whole i think continued maturity and 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 as i said i i think that comes with you know the the different investor set that that originally when we founded altis back in 2000 you know it was just different um and i think that will continue it's like uh you know i always think about um henry ford with his first motor car (laughs) and uh you know and now we all drive around in cars that look very similar unless it's a beautiful one and uh yeah no I, i i think that's that's more of that i think um yeah, the maturing of the industry comes with also the maturing of how we explain ourselves and, and what we do. Um, in terms of Altis, I think um, we're very steady and consistent in its business as usual, essentially, sure. uh, and really just building that relationship and, and with, with you know different investors and explaining what we do and, and continue to do that, hopefully, uh, in, a, in at least a, a way. I mean, our job is to try and get someone to say no um because they actually understand what it is that that we do and and more of the same really of that uh that, that's what i imagine in, in, in the very short term future sure, sure 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 and as we wrap up i also have to remember to thank your exchange for sponsoring our conversation today and as many of you know your exchange is the venue of choice for many of the european buy side um, but before we wrap up completely, uh, Natasha, I wanted to ask, where can the listeners best reach out and find more about uh, find out more about you and, and, and Altis? What's sure. the best place to go? Sure. So there's altispartners.com, which is our website. Uh, and of course, they can always contact me. So um, we're, all of us are at altispartners.com and it's our first name. So uh, Natasha at altispartners.com or info at altispartners.com. It'll pretty much get through to, to one of us. <laughs> that's, that's excellent. Now, this has been great conversation. I really appreciate you spending uh, some time with me today on, on a Saturday away from your family and sharing your story, your insights and giving me and our listeners a look into uh, to Altis and the industry as a whole. And of course, our listeners can find out all the details of uh, the conversation in the show notes for this episode on toptradersonplug.com and I hope that uh, we can connect at a later stage and uh, follow up on all the great work that you are doing and in the meantime I wish you and, and all your partners 
the very best. Lovely. Thank you, and Niels, you and yours too. Great. Thanks so much, Natasha. Take care. Thanks for listening to Top Traders Unplugged. If you feel you learned something of value from today's episode, the best way to stay updated is to go on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show so that you'll be sure to get all the new episodes as they're released. We have some amazing guests lined up for you. And to ensure our show continues to grow, please leave us an honest rating and review in iTunes. It only takes a minute and it's the best way to show us you love the podcast. We'll see you next time on Top Traders Unplugged.